Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessed privilege it is to have you all to join us as far as Bible study is concerned. And of course, this is something we do not take for granted for all of those that are coming online. God bless you. Thank you all so very, very much as far as joining us at this particular moment. Um, last week, of course, we did not have Bible study, and that was due to the fact that we were having a March Gladness revival. And I don't know about anybody else, but I was extremely, extremely blessed um, by the preachers that we had on last week. God did a wonderful, wonderful uh, job of depositing within our sister and brothers the word that we so needed. And then on Sunday, the Reverend Dr. Jasmine Scurlock blessed us beyond our wildest imagination. So uh, uh, it's been uh, a good time of refueling and refreshing, uh, particularly for me. And I hope it has been for you all. So thank you all for, for joining us today. We want to look at uh, our continued work through Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. And we want to focus on Galatians chapter four, uh, starting at verse 21 through the end of that chapter. Galatians chapter four, starting at verse 21 through the end of that chapter. So if you don't mind, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we seek and sense God's presence as far as our time together is concerned. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come and we thank you for the wonderful opportunity to study your word once again. We pray, oh God, that by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would be in our midst, that you, the master teacher, will show up and teach us your precepts. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway so that we will continue to do what you desire, destined, and designed for us to do. Show yourself strong and mighty, oh God, and... Uh, Help us to accomplish everything that you have assigned our hands, heads, and hearts. It is in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, we pray. And in his name, we claim it done. Amen. 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 I see you all that are joining us online, Sister Eloise and Sister Annette and Sister Bridget and Virgie and uh, Reverend C and Ayana and uh, Brother Adrian and Sister Marcia and uh, Brother Tate, God bless you all. Sister Rose, I see you. God bless you all. Thank you all so, so very, very much. Brother Ted, uh, Deacon in Training, good to see you, man. Good to see you, Sister Elaine. Thank God for your presence. I uh, greatly appreciate you joining us as far as this time is concerned. Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 21, starting at verse 21. And as I read this, I'm going to ask that you will highlight some things. And we want to work through this as far as um, this particular text is concerned. And this is a very interesting um, text because really what Paul is doing, as we read, Paul is really comparing uh, several things. He is comparing two covenants. He's comparing two women. Uh, and he is comparing two understandings of what it means to be in relationship with God. Two covenants, two women and two, uh, understanding of what it means to be in relationship with God. And he is engaging and utilizing what is called the allegorical method of interpretation in this particular text. An allegory is where you take a literal meaning and you kind of assign uh, some uh, hidden or mysterious understanding that is outside of that text. So as we unpack this, I'm going to show you the allegory that he is um, uh, utilizing as far as this is concerned. And we want to properly uh, unpack this in a very meaningful way that hopefully and prayerfully you will get what we want to drop on you. Of course, um, Paul is dealing with the Galatians who want to go back to the time of being subjected to the law. And Paul is trying to let them know, listen, um, uh, if you have Jesus Christ, your faith in Jesus Christ because of the grace that God has bestowed upon you is more than sufficient for you as far as demonstrating what it means to be in relationship with God. So 
Let's look at Galatians 4, starting at verse 21. I'm going to have you to circle some words, underline some words, highlight some phrases, things of that sort, uh, for your own um, reflection and, and, and time. So let's get started. So we look at uh, Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And I want you to underline the word desire. Circle the phrase, the law uh, in the first part and the law in the second part and, and, and draw that connection, okay? Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, underline that, or highlight that rather, and the other by a free woman, okay? Verse 23, but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. If you would underline that, that phrase, bondwoman was born according to the flesh and he of the free woman through the promise. I want you to underline the phrase, he of the free woman through the promise. Okay, let's continue working through this text. Which things are symbolic, circle the word symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. I want you to highlight the phrase, uh, underline the word, two covenants, and then highlight the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, circle Hagar. Verse 25. For this Hagar, circle Hagar again, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem which now is and is in bondage, underline the phrase in bondage with her children, underline all that is in bondage with her children. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free. I want you to highlight the phrase, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. And then I want you to highlight all of verse 27. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not hear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. I want you to highlight all of that. Verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. I want you to highlight the phrase as Isaac was, are children of the promise. Verse 29. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the, to the spirit. Even so it is now. I want you to underline all of verse 29. Underline all of verse 29. Nevertheless, what the scriptures say uh, in verse 30. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be her heir. Should I be heir with the woman, with the son of the free woman? Highlight all of that. Verse 30. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And if you would, underline verse 31. Got a lot to unpack here. My God got a lot to unpack here. All right. All right. Let's get started as far as our work is concerned. Um, for, for this moment that is ours. And let's look at how God does a wonderful and a magnificent uh, aspect as the writings of Paul is concerned to help us to become what God will have for us to be. All right. So let's get started as far as today's work is concerned. And um, let's unpack it. So in verse 21, here's what we're working with and here's what we're dealing with. The Galatians in verse 21 had not yet submitted to the law, but they were really leaning in that direction. They were heading fast in that direction. They, they were really wrestling with the fact of, should we as Gentiles become circumcised so that we can identify with the Jews. And then ultimately, as we identify with the Jews, uh, we become counted among them. So they have yet to fully embrace the law, 
But my God, they're heading toward that direction. And so Paul is doing something. Paul is like trying to, to jump in front of a speeding car and say, hey, 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 the bridge is out. The bridge is out. Don't go that direction. Don't go that direction. Um, the Galatians believers, most of them not from a Jewish background, and they had such a infantile understanding of the Jewish law, um, may have said, yeah, we want to do that. But they did not understand the impossible standards that the law held. And remember, what I've shared with you all before is that it was the understanding that if you broke one of the law, you broke all of the laws, all right? If you broke one of the law, you broke all of the laws. Now, let me give you just a moment of transparency because I feel like I got sneeze and I'm trying not to sneeze so that I don't embarrass myself nor others. So I'm pinching my nose, trying not to sneeze so y'all forgive me for that. Ah, okay. God, get me through this. Now, in verse 22, it says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bond woman and the other of a free woman. Now, who is this in reference to? This is in reference to Hagar and Sarah. All right. Now, just to give a little bit background as far as this story is concerned. That remember, God had told Abraham he was going to be the father of many nations. Abraham is up in age. God told Abraham he's going to be the father of many nations, and that the nations will be blessed through his seed. Now, at the time that the Lord gave that promise to Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, of course, were married, but they had no children. They were up in age. Sarah was barren. They concocted a plan to try to help God's plan. So they agreed, Abraham and Sarah, that Hagar, who was their servant, would provide a child for them. Okay, so... Um, Abraham uh, and Hagar gets together. She becomes pregnant. She has a son. His name is Ishmael. Okay. Ishmael um, is uh, connected to Hagar. Okay. Hagar was a servant. All right. Y'all following the flow? A few years later, I want to say probably about 10, 11 years later, the Lord comes to Abraham and Sarah, listen, y'all getting ready to have a child. <laughs> and Sarah, of course, laughs. And uh, they're up in age at this time. Uh, Abraham's probably close to 100. Sarah's in her 90s. And they're like, ain't no way. Ain't no way. But Sarah becomes pregnant with Isaac. So um, during the time that they were um, uh, coming of age, of course, um, Ishmael was picking on Isaac and Sarah said his mama and he got to go. Okay. So again, Hagar is considered to be the uh, bond woman. Sarah is considered to be the free woman. Okay, y'all following me? Now, it is interesting to note, and just to give you a little historical background, it's interesting to note that the three major monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all of them trace their roots back to Abraham. Those of us who practice Christianity trace our roots back to Abraham through Isaac just like Judaism, trace their roots back to Abraham through Isaac. Those who practice Islam trace their roots back to Abraham through Ishmael. So it's interesting to note that Abraham really does become the father of many nations. So it is interesting to note, and I just throw this out there for a thought, that what we see happening in the Middle East, oftentimes and unfortunately, boil down to distant cousins fighting each other. Even when we have the squabbles 
uh, between Christianity and Judaism or between Christianity and Islam or between Judaism and Islam, their distant cousins fight each other. Okay. So I want to put that out there. So here is Paul trying to help them to understand that the Judaizers who were Jews took great pride in them saying, we are descendants from Abraham. Uh, but as Jesus pointed out, that being a descendant of Abraham was not good enough to get you salvation. Okay. That it took more than being a descendant of Abraham for you to have a salvation that Jesus came to provide. Y'all with me? So Abraham, two sons, Ishmael, Isaac. Ishmael's born to Hagar. Isaac's born to Sarah. Hagar was a servant, a slave. Hag uh, Sarah was a free woman, the wife of Abraham. Now, the interesting thing was he that was to the born was born according to the flesh, but he of the free woman through the promise. Now, what is meant by that? That the covenant that God wanted to establish that was going to be liberating, transformative, and redemptive for all of the world would not come through the seed of Hagar, but it will come through the seed of Sarah. All right. And particularly through Isaac. So Hagar and Ishmael basically were of the flesh. Sarah and Isaac were of the promise. Are y'all with me so far? Okay. Now, here's where I want to say that Paul introduces what I call the allegory as far as utilizing Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael and Isaac in response or in connection to the aspect of covenant because he is trying to really unpack what it means to be subjected to the law. And, and, and I really want to, to slow walk this with you because check this out. When we look at verse 23, the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and he of the free woman through the promise. Ishmael came in the ordinary way. There was no miracle. There was no promise of God. Uh, Abraham and Hagar got together. They had sex. Out of that sex, Hagar gets pregnant. Ain't really much of a miracle because Hagar basically was relatively what? Uh, fertile. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this. Isaac, on the other hand, is the result of a promise and it required a miracle. Why? Because Sarah, first of all, was beyond childbearing age. But somehow God brought to pass the promise that he had given to Abraham years ago out of the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Okay? Are you all with me so far? I'm trying to unpack this in a very meaningful way. So here, here, here is what I want to drive home to you all um, as far as this moment of, of, of teaching is concerned. Paul is setting up the distinction between ordinary human-centered religion and the supernatural, miraculous, God-centered relationship. Okay? Let me say it again. Paul is setting up a difference between ordinary, human-centered religion and supernatural, God-centered relationship. All right? And what he is doing is he is challenging these Judaizers who said, listen, if you really want a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you got to be circumcised. And Paul is like, no, you don't. So really what Paul is doing is taking the weapons of the Judaizers and turning them on them 
to unpack this. All right. So let's 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 look at let's look at verse 24. Because when it says which things are symbolic, that word symbolic is just another word for allegory. Okay, it's another word for allegory. All right. I want you to hear me, hear me well. This is another word for, for allegory. So what Paul is doing is that Paul has taken historical events and he he shifts it to give it a spiritual meaning because what he does is he treats these two mothers as different aspects of the covenant. All right? Because there were two well-known covenants as far as Israel was concerned. The covenant that God made with Abraham and the covenant that God made with Moses. You with me so far? All right. So the covenant that God made with Moses was at Mount Sinai. All right. And you remember that at Mount Sinai, the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. Moses went up and that's where he got the Ten Commandments and all that good stuff. All right. So remember that Hagar was a slave. And so her children would be slaves for the child's status was the status of the mother. All right. So what Paul wants us to understand is that you have two covenants going on here. You got the Mosaic covenant um, and you have the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is the gracious system that Sarah represents through which the Messiah shall come to bring freedom to all who are connected to the Messiah. All right. Now, I want to be very intentional about unpacking this because Paul didn't say it, but the readers could infer that the other woman represented the covenant with Abraham, the covenant of the promise, the children of the free woman, they're free. What Paul wants us to understand is that the covenant of promise is look toward a new covenant that's ushered in by Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, he basically cemented what that covenant looked like, but the Jews did not accept it because what the Jews wanted to do was wanted to add other requirements in order to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, here's, here's what I want you to understand, that um, both Isaac and Ishmael, check this out, had the same father, Abraham, but had different mothers, so they had different ethnicities, the Ishmaelites and the Jews. And the Jews had this pride that since I'm connected to Father Abraham, uh, we're superior to everybody else. However, uh, Paul was like, no, that ain't going to be good enough because just because you are connected to Abraham, you're just like, check this out, Hagar's product, you're enslaved because you didn't even recognize the fact that Jesus Christ has come to seal and give lift as far as this new covenant is concerned. You're talking about you're free, but you're really enslaved. Ooh, <laughs> let me say it again. You're talking like you're free, but you're really enslaved. So you can't get saved by obeying the law because obeying the law leads to slavery. You can't get saved by obeying the law uh, because the law leads to bondage. You can't get saved by obeying the law because the law makes you less than. So really what Paul is trying to say is that you don't get saved by being circumcised. You don't get saved by keeping a bunch of dietary laws. You don't get saved uh, just based upon association. I want y'all to follow me. You are saved. You are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But if you do all that other stuff, you don't get saved. You become a slave. And the only difference between save and slave is an L. Ooh. How many of y'all 
have been taking an L for a long time. If you don't know what L means in today's vernacular, that means a loss. How many of y'all been taking a loss for a long time because you've been trying to get God's favor based upon you keeping a whole bunch of stuff that the Lord said, you don't do that trying to get my approval. The difference between slave, S-L-A-V-E, and save, S-A-V-E, is an L. Stop taking a loss. Stop taking that L. Okay? Stop taking that L. Get rid of that L. Move from slave to save. Okay? Because you want to go around and you want to puff out your chest like you really got it going on when in actuality you don't. Now, this well, here's where I want to Here's where I want to, here's where I want to drop this grenade on all of us right now. Because while we don't do, we don't do those things to get saved. There are things we do to demonstrate that we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Okay. So I don't come to church to get saved. I don't give tithes and offerings to get saved. I don't read my Bible to get saved. I don't engage in spiritual disciplines to get saved. But what I do is I hang out with saints, come to worship, I read my Bible, I have my devotionals, I try to be generous in my giving because I am saved. I don't do that stuff to gain God's favor. I do those things because I know I have been favored by God. And that because I have been favored by God, I have no problem expressing my obedience, check this out, to the word and the will of God for my life. All right. Hopefully I'm making some sense right now because I'm getting ready to take us even deeper. Because what Paul is saying Paul is saying, Hagar is Mount Sinai or the law that was given to Moses. Sarah is the Jerusalem that's above, which is the mother of us all. So in verse 26, Paul is saying, Sarah stands for the new covenant that started with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he died on a hill called Calvary. God raised him from the dead, which sealed the covenant, which then any of us who confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior have personal relationship with God. So it is through Abraham's tree that Jesus Christ is born to save us from our sins and has created the opportunity for us to be reconciled back to God. <coughs> In other words, he took the place for us on Calvary. He took the penalty of our sins so that you and I can have a relationship with God by confessing our faith in Jesus. Now, I know, I know we live in a time where folks said Jesus Christ ain't the only way. And I know that there are a whole lot of folks, some biblical scholars say you got to be careful not to read Jesus back into the Old Testament. I'm clearly aware of all of that. Okay. Now, I, I, I want us to understand some things that while when we think about for example, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, David had no idea that Jesus Christ was coming. I know that when we talk about Isaiah 53, uh, where it talks about he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah did not know anything about the coming of Jesus Christ. And there are scholars who say, you know, you got to be careful about trying to say that was Jesus. I get that. 
However, I am now able to say that those persons, those scriptures sound a whole lot like the Jesus we know. Okay? Those scriptures sound like a whole lot about the Jesus we know. Now, let, let, me, let me, if I could, really unpack verse 26 and then we're going to go to verse 27. Because notice what Paul is doing here. Paul is dropping the fact that the Jerusalem above, connected to Sarah, is the mother of us all. This heavenly Jerusalem and the earthly Jerusalem is a copy of the heavenly Jerusalem. And, and, and when he uses this kind of she's our mother to show that faith, check this out, not keeping a bunch of laws is the source and strength of our salvation. So notice, notice what Paul is, is taking. He's taking major people that, 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 that the Jews are familiar with. Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, Hagar, Sarah. Events like covenant, sites like Mount Sinai, Jerusalem, and giving two different tracks of how humanity can flow as far as our relationship with God. Slavery and freedom. Slavery by keeping a whole bunch of laws, freedom by our faith in God. And so Paul says, because notice he used the word, our mother or the mother of us all. Paul is saying, Galatians, we're in the same boat. Claim your connection to Abraham by your faith in Jesus Christ to be a citizen of the new Jerusalem. In other words, you all, uh, this world is not our home. We're just pilgrims traveling through this barren land. That there is something greater that God has in store for us. Let me, let me, let me push on and, and get to verse 27. And, and this is getting good to me. For in verse 27, what he is doing is he is uh, quoting Isaiah 54. And the words that Isaiah is dropping um, is really giving a foresight or a prediction of Israel's future because this prophecy uh, had to give comfort to the exiles when they were in Babylon. And what Isaiah is saying is that they would not only be restored, but their future blessings would be greater than their past. In other words, what, 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 what you had before ain't nothing compared to what you're going to have in your future. Let me say that again. What you had before ain't nothing. I know ain't in good English, but it's great theology and philosophy. What you had before uh, ain't nothing. I know using a double negative. It ain't good English, but it's great theology. It ain't nothing. <laughs> what you had before versus what I have in store for you. Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not labor. For the desolate has, look at this, the desolate, the barren, the non-labor has many more children than the one who has a husband that has capacity to give seed. So what Paul is saying as the interpretation of Isaiah, to be barren back in the days was shameful and disgraceful and, and just a bad place to be. Uh, but Isaiah is saying, Israel, you may have been unfruitful like the childless woman, but God, in God's own sovereignty, is able to bless and change your mourning into rejoicing and make you productive even though you've been barren. In other words, you're going to have a whole lot more children than the person who has a husband and has physical children. Ah, the woman bearing more children may have pictured Israel being restored to the land after exile. But I want to say 
that this more children is also in connection, if I could use the flow of allegory, is the connection to the church. And how the church has produced a lot more spiritual children of Abraham. So let me go ahead and sew this thing up and put this button on this because uh, it blessed me as I continue my study. So let's look at the how we apply this to our lives. Because in verse 28, it says, but we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. So Abraham um, had Isaac. You and I, because we are Christians, are able to trace our roots back through Judaism, back to Isaac, back to Abraham. So we, brothers and sisters, as Isaac was, are children of promise. And just as Isaac's birth was miraculous, guess what? Your salvation is a miracle. Ooh, I think I'm teaching good right now. You got to understand that your capacity to be saved is a miracle. It's a crazy miracle. It, 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 it's a miracle that, that you and I don't deserve. Because guess what? You and I experience what we call a supernatural birth. That being born again is a supernatural birth. No, you don't go back into your mother's womb like Jesus told Nicodemus. But you do experience another birth. You get another birthday. And when you're born again, you are what? Free. And you experience the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the power of God in your life. And here is what Paul is trying to help his Galatian sisters and brothers to understand. That your spiritual identity is in your connection to Jesus, not the Judaizers. You are children of the promise, not children of the law. Okay? You're children of the promise, not children of the law. In other words, the law had certain requirements. Oh, I'm going somewhere with this. But because you are children of the promise, you have been given things by grace. And when you really want to demonstrate appreciation of grace, grace will help you to understand, ooh, I'm, get, I'm about to, I'm, I feel like I'm going to throw off my jacket and throw back this chair. When you're under the understanding of what grace is, the law requires some stuff. But when you know what grace is, grace says I des that God deserves all stuff, but he don't want all. He wants what you're willing to drop and to give. And when you understand what grace is, then you will understand that by grace, grace said, if, 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 that grace wants you to know that God deserves it all. That whatever I have, God deserves it. That whatever I get, God deserves it. God deserves all my energy. God deserves all my time. God deserves all my effort. God deserves all my money. God deserves whatever I get. But because I'm of the grace, God said, I don't want it all, even though I deserve it all. I don't want it all. But I do want you to demonstrate that you are in relationship with me. So watch this. When you understand to whom much is given, much is required. When you know that grace is God giving us all that we have, I should never, ever, ever have to beg anybody to do anything for the kingdom of God when you're really saying, God, Lee, I'm getting happy. When you're really saved, nobody should have to beg you to serve the Lord. When you're really saved, nobody should have to beg you to come to church or get connected online or to give. Guess what? Even when it comes to giving, when you're really, really saved, you understand when you've been taught that tithing is the bare minimum. That when you really say you get way beyond that because what you know you can't pay God for what God has done for you. <sighs> Let me calm down. I'm supposed to be teaching. I ain't supposed to be preaching. Mm, 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 this stuff is good. So, 
So, so notice what, what Paul says in verse 29. Paul says, Paul says, Paul says, but he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So really what Paul is saying, and, and, and I want to unpack this because Paul compares the persecution that Ishmael did to Isaac to the false teaching that Judaizers were doing to the Galatians. <laughs> okay. In other words, and, and, and let me help you understand the story and, and in your own in your own time, go back and read Genesis 21. That'll bless you real good. Read Genesis 21 and you'll get the gist of, of this whole story. That 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 Abraham um they had a party when Isaac was weaned off of Sarah's breast. And 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 so Isaac's probably about a year and a half, two years old, and Ishmael may have been 12, 13 years old. And Ishmael was teasing um, uh, Isaac about coming off his mother's breast. And, 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 and when Sarah heard about it, she was like, they got to go. Deuces. They, they, they ain't got to go home, but they got to get out of here. <laughs> they got to go. So, 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 so check this out because I'm getting ready to make the connection. So the persecution of Ishmael to Isaac was very similar to the persecution of the Judaizers or the Jews to these new Christians, Gentiles that were older, persecuting the younger. Ishmael was born according to the flesh. Isaac was born according to the spirit. All right. So really what Paul is saying is that um, the Judaizers resemble Ishmael, even though they claim relationship to Abraham through Isaac, they sounded and resembled more of Ishmael because of their persecution than they did Isaac because of their faith. Uh, let me go ahead and wrap this thing up. So we see in verse 30 and 31, nevertheless, what does scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman. That's what Sarah, Sarah like, she got to go. She got to get out of here. She and her child. For the son of the bondwoman shall be the heir. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be the heir, but the son of the free. The, the Jews had long held that this verse described God's rejection of the Gentiles. And here, is what Paul is doing. Paul turns this thing on his head. Paul said, no, no. Let me help you understand what this really means. There is, you cannot make equal or compare law and grace. You can't have a religion that is based on works and a relationship that is based on faith. In other words, I can't be connected to God based on my works if I don't have a relationship with God predicated upon my faith. Now, faith without works, of course, is dead. But works without faith is even worse. Let me say it again. Faith without works is dead. Because how can I say that I have faith and I'm not doing any works? And that's in the writings of James. I preached on that before. Uh, faith without works is dead. But works without faith is even worse. Because if I'm working and I have no understanding for whom I'm working and why I'm working, then basically I'm going to be like those folks that Jesus said, wait, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we do all this stuff? And Jesus said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know who you are. Who are the Ishmaelites among us? Who are those that are in slavery to doing so much work that they don't have relationship? Who are those who think that the more I do, the more approval I get? That's not how this works. You and I are saved because of our faith. 
And so here's what we got. Here's, here's where we have to be careful. And, and, and I'm getting ready to close this thing up. Don't equate difference of opinion with false teaching. Okay. God knows that's very apparent in today's churches because in today's churches, some, some churches tolerate teaching that twist scripture and abandon the Bible as their source of Christian faith. And when you ain't got no accountability to truth in the church, whatever spiritual life may exist under that roof will not be there long. All right. All right. Now I'm getting ready to drill down because to commit a Christian in a church should not leave the church immediately. And too often those who are caught in the middle of those who do not understand these theological issues become hurt by the certain exit of fellow members and an effort of clarification, recommitment to truth and even necessary church discipline should be carried out before believers regretfully depart. In other words, when you have folks that are creating dissension because they are sharing things that are not true as far as scripture is concerned, you got to deal with that stuff on the spot. Because they are the leaven that messes up the loaf. All right, let me go ahead and close this thing out. So Paul says, so then, my brothers and sisters, we are not children of Hagar. We're children of Sarah. We're not children of the bondwoman. We're children of the free. He puts this button on it. And he wants his brothers and sisters at Galatia to understand to nail this argument that you're no longer bound by the law. You're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You're no longer bound by the law. Take the freedom that God has given you through Jesus Christ because you could not free yourself with all the money you have in your life. That Jesus paid the price for our freedom on a hill called Calvary. And when you embrace that and you understand that and you apply that and you allow for that to saturate the very essence of who you are, then you don't have an issue serving, being generous, forgiving, and loving. Remember, my brothers and sisters, you're no longer bound. No longer chains claim you. Walk in the freedom. Walk in the forgiveness. And embrace the grace that has come your way. God bless you. Well, before I close out, just want to see, are there any questions or comments? Any questions, rather, uh, before we... Uh, ask you to to give and, and and close out this moment of shape. Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? Amen. Next week, we will start with Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And we're going to try to get through, hopefully, verse 12 of next week. So Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. As we prepare to close out today, I um, uh, want you to walk in the grace that God has bestowed upon you. And with that grace, you have the capacity, the capability to give. And there are several ways you can give here at St. Paul. Uh, first one is by mail and check money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205. Or drop off your check cash money order here at the church. Uh, or call the church office first at 704-334-5309 to make sure someone is here to receive your offering. We're going to put it in the safe and it'll be part of the following Sunday's count. You can also give online on our website through ACS or Church Life, and then you can give through the app called GiveLify. And um, if you don't have that app on your smart device, download that app, connect it to your favorite credit card, and in three clicks, three, uh, you can give to St. Paul. Uh, I hope and pray that uh, this lesson has blessed you. I hope and pray that you will walk in the freedom that God has given you through Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk more about that freedom on next week. But listen, uh, somebody says grace, unmerited favor. Yes, it is. It's God's unmerited favor towards you. Yes, it is, Sister Elaine. Yes, ma'am.
Yes, ma'am. Uh, uh, just, just understand that grace ain't cheap. <laughs> just understand grace ain't cheap. Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, listen, be blessed. Um, uh, enjoy the rest of, of this day and uh, may uh, God keep and, and have a smile upon you. Take care.